a song in my heart today, something I never had. Jesus has taken my sins away. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad, I'm glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Jesus has come in my cups overrun. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Wonderful, marvelous love he brings into a heart that's sad. Through darkest tunnels the soul just sings. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad, I'm glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Jesus has come in my cups overrun. Oh, say, but I'm glad. We have a fellowship rich and sweet. Tongues can never relate. Abiding in him, the soul's retreat. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad, I'm glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Jesus has come in my cups overrun. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Won't you come to him with all your care, weary and worn and sad? You too will sing as his love you share. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad, I'm glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Jesus has come and my cup's overrun. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Amen. Please remain standing for prayer this morning. Little Lukey, would you pray for us, please? And thank you. you. May be seated unless you celebrate a birthday or an anniversary. We recognize you. Amen. It's good to be in the Lord's house today and to have each one of you here with us. A few things from the bulletins we start. Uh, first of all, today is a teen fundraiser and uh, they're hosting lunch. Uh, there's no charge, it's a free will offering, and all the proceeds will go uh, for youth expenses, mainly towards camp. And so if you can help, uh, if you can, even if you can't stay, uh, if you could throw something in, just be a blessing to the teens, I know it would be very appreciated. Uh, also, we were supposed to have Fall Praise Festival last night, but as it was raining, I was thankful that we weren't there. And uh, I do appreciate the Fosters opening their place up, but uh, we will have Fall Praise Festival on this Wednesday night, and so just bring your food. Um, we'll have potluck, we'll have a grill outside, so those that we're going to bring hot dogs, things like that, uh, be able to do that, and uh, we'll just have a good time fellowship and then a challenge from the Word of God, so plan to be with us Wednesday night. Uh, ladies Jubilee, the ladies will be leaving for Wichita on Friday at 1 o'clock here at the church, so uh, ladies, if you can be ready for that and be here. Uh, the Jubilee takes place on uh, Saturday. They'll be coming home following that. Uh, we will have a men's work day on Saturday starting at 8.30. 
Uh, trustees have plenty of jobs for us to do, and so if you can come and be a help that way, I know that would be a blessing. Then Senior Saint uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, there's going to be a Senior Saint Luncheon uh, hosted by the Homeschool Co-op on Monday, November 6th at 1130. Sounds to me like we're doing a whole lot of eating, okay? But that's all right. Eating's good. Uh, and so uh, 1130 here at the church, and if you have any questions, you can see Miss Alice Foster about that, or Mrs. Alice Foster. And uh, then Ladies Thanksgiving is going to be Saturday. I told you a whole lot of eating. Uh, Saturday the 11th uh, at uh, 5.30 here at church, sign-up sheet in the back. Veterans Day's coming. Brother Martin Kuhn's going to be with us. Always uh, glad to have uh, Brother Martin here. And uh, then Lord's Supper, uh, we will observe on Tuesday, November 21st. We encourage all church members to be here at 7 o'clock that evening. And because of that, we will not be having Wednesday night service on the 22nd. Matter of fact, Church offices will be closed um, that Wednesday through Saturday, but uh, pray that you'll have a great time uh, with your family over the Thanksgiving holiday. From our prayer area, ask that you remember to pray for all these that are listed here, and then most of you know uh, the Gilsons. Uh, sad news, um, brother and sister Gilson, uh, he, he called me Thursday night. Uh, and uh, their oldest son had committed suicide. And so if you would be praying for them, and um, I just can't even imagine the heartache, let alone having now you lost a second son, uh, if you would just remember to pray for them. Uh, we do not have uh, any information yet about a service to come or anything like that. As soon as it's made available, uh, we'll let you know. Uh, but if you would, just be praying for Dan and Judy as they go to, through this. Uh. Just a heart-wrenching time. Pray for them. Um, so, many of you know I like white stuff that falls from the sky. Sunday, I came into my office. Uh, sometimes people get into my office. I lock the door. So people don't get in my office, but sometimes I walk in, people have been in my office, and it's a blessing, amen? So I walked in my office, and here's this beautiful sack that, by the way, I'm just kind of a collector of things that touch me, so this will go into my box of collections, because let it snow, why would you ever give that away either? So uh, I'll just collect that in my box. But then I had all these little priceless... <clears throat> priceless little notes that were made for me and I don't know who headed this up but I just want to say thank you um, I sat down and read every one of them Lalo I think got to watch me while I read through them They're just a just a real encouragement that um, whoever did this training our our kids to love their preacher uh, is pretty priceless and um, what love looks like and taking time to express it like that. I just want to say thank you. And little did I know as I sat down on Monday to go through all these things and the brightness that it was in my heart that I'd experienced Thursday. So it's, like, it's really cool how God does stuff like that. And uh, so thank you uh, for listening to the Lord and thank you for being such a blessing to the preacher. I really appreciate it. Going to have uh, Brother Foster come back, but before he does, 
Uh, and it's good to have Jared home, and it's good to have Alyssa home. You guys doing good? Okay, everything's good at school? You come home because you run out of money? Money never hurts, okay? Never hurts. Uh, Jared brought some friends, so Jared, why don't you stand and introduce uh, your friends to us here, please. Amen. So Brother Hunter comes to us from Brother Waterloo's church, and then Brother Potter's parents, uh, their pastor there in uh, Iowa, and known them for a while, and uh, so thankful that Jared's hanging out with good guys. That's a good thing, so praise the Lord. I'm telling you, your friends set your direction for life, and so praise the Lord for that. Brother Foster, if you would. I mean, singing hymn number 127, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. We'll sing the first and the last verses of hymn 127. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to some outlines on the back table if you had to get those lesson number four is what we need oh there he is brother Potts is getting them all right lesson number four we'll be in that momentarily we need to finish up lesson number three raise your hand they'll get those to you and we can be getting in our bibles here to esther chapter number two where we find ourselves in lesson number three.
we happen to grab an old lesson. I had three and four on there, but it may have gotten changed. Okay, all right. So let's uh, catch up here on lesson number three, what we've seen. It's the unseen director, and we are understanding the fact that God is always working behind the scenes on our behalf, and He was certainly working here on the behalf of, of the Jews, and working through Esther, and even working through a defeated king, King Ahasuerus, understanding that at this time in chapter number two, he's come back from a great defeat of the Grecian Empire, and uh, he's experiencing this defeat, and then he remembers what his queen did to him in refusing um, his petition to her. So uh, he has to deal with that situation, and, and he makes a decree there um, for all the women of the land, and they bring all the virgins, uh, the virgins that they choose, they bring them in uh, for the king's pleasure, and we see that, king, or that uh, Esther is promoted then, uh, she's brought to the palace, and she's very much favored, but as we finish up lesson number three, we've looked at the defeated king, we've looked at the promoted orphan, that of Esther, but we need to look at the prominent Jew then, which is Mordecai, and Mordecai has a significant role here in the uh, book of Esther as God works through him, and he, he uh, organizes things uh, behind the scenes uh, to bring to pass what his desire is. And I'm thankful that the Lord does work behind the scenes in our life. That he sees things that we don't, and boy, when we don't understand and we don't uh, see the outcome, God does. And God knows what is best, and God will always do what is best. We just need to trust in him and follow his leading in our lives. All right, so we need to look at this prominent Jew and understand some things about Mordecai uh, as God seeks to work through him. So remember this about Mordecai and Esther, they were in Persia because of their disobedient relatives and perhaps they themselves could have gone back to Jerusalem, we don't know exactly why they're still there, but nevertheless God knows where they are at and He knows that they are in the palace and He is promoting them in the place that they're at. So after Esther's coronation, the narrator of the book shifts the spotlight to Mordecai and we see a scene unfold here in the latter part of chapter number 2. And we see in uh, verses 21 and 22, if you'd read along there, in Esther chapter 2, we see a plot here to assassinate the king. It says, In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth, and sought to lay hands on king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai. So we see some issues here right away, and we've talked much about anger and not making decisions when you are angry or in, your, uh, in a place of bitterness. And they say, and it says here that these two men, they were wroth. So we know what's going to happen. They're going to make some decisions here that they shouldn't be making. So these men were plotting to kill the king, and they were likely eunuchs, men forced into a life of servitude to the king. And they were obviously angry and intended to harm the king, as we see here in this text that we've just read. So the, the plot is set. They're going to uh, assassinate the king. And they, they put this plan in process, and uh, they speak of this plan, but someone overheard. Someone overheard this plan. And who was it? Well, it was none other than Mordecai. So we see now the warning from Mordecai. So Mordecai was overheard this information, he overheard the plot, so he had a decision to make of what he was going to do with this information. He could have chosen not to do anything uh, with the information that he heard. 
Who would have known if he had just walked away? He was the only one there that knows about what he heard and understands the plot. But he didn't just do, choose to do nothing with the information. He chose to do something. He immediately told Esther, and Esther in turn told the king. Let's continue reading here. Verse 22 and 23, And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Now we look at the lives of Esther and Mordecai. They had good reason to be upset with the king themselves for the position that, they, that the king had put them in. After all, this was the same king who had brought 400 young women, including Esther, and placed them into his harem. They could have just let him die. They could have held bitterness in their heart as well and, and allowed things to play out according to the plot of these two men. So what does that speak of here? What is our natural tendency? Our natural tendency is this. When we are hurt, we want to give ourselves over to anger, revenge, getting even. But the Bible warns us against this very temptation. Romans 13.10 says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is what God requires of us as Christians, as individuals seeking to serve the Lord, is that we would show forth love, and that love is fulfilling the law. It is confidence in God's sovereignty and goodness that allows us to leave justice in His hands. Now, it's very difficult for us. We want justice now, and we want to make sure that we have our hand in, in making sure that justice is carried out. But it's not up to us. It's up to God. God knows best. Boy, if we would fathom that and understand that God sees all. And a lot of times we have a skewed view of what's going on. We only have one side of the matter most often. And that's the, the matter that weighs heavy on our heart. And the way that we want to see it sometimes. But God sees all. And in His sovereignty, He knows what is best to do in a situation. And He is the one that I want to leave things to, to make sure that things are done right and proper. So it is this confidence in His sovereignty and goodness that allows us to leave justice in His hands. Romans 12, 19 says this, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So, in the story now, after Esther tells the king of this conspiracy to kill him, Mordecai was not immediately recognized. In some ways, this incident seems out of place in this chapter. As we're going through the story, it seems to be um, kind of out of the flow. So, it's almost like a deviation from the main plot. However, it proves to be extremely important later on as we look at the story. God was still orchestrating events, and He had positioned Mordecai exactly where he needed to be, for God to use him. So sometimes as we go through this life, good deeds seem to go unnoticed. But God sees all and he will reward us in his time. So 1 Corinthians 3:13 tells us this uh, that God is is all seeing, he's all knowing, and he sees what's going on in your life. Every man's work shall be made manifest. That means it's going to be made known. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. 
and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. This is talking about the judgment seat of Christ where all of our works will be tried. After 25 years of missionary service, Samuel Morrison was finally returning home to the United States. He was excited uh, to come home and to be back in his homeland. The ship he was on was also, uh, also had President Teddy Roosevelt on board. He had been on a hunting trip. As they docked into the New York Harbor, a jamboree of people uh, were ready to welcome the president. There were balloons, singing, cameras, and big signs that said, Welcome home. As the missionary looked out over this, the crowd of people welcoming their president from a relatively short trip, he was disappointed not to see even one familiar face welcoming him home from two and a half decades of missionary service. In disappointment, he asked the Lord, Why is it that nobody even cares that I'm home? It was then that he felt the Lord lovingly reminding him, It's because you're not home yet. See, we're not here to serve man or even receive the accolades of man. We are here to serve the Lord, and it's Him that we should be seeking to please and wanting to serve with our life. So when you do not get the recognition for your kindness or your hard choices to honor God, and boy, there's some hard choices that we have to make in this Christian life. Will we follow the Lord? Will we follow and stay true to the Word of God, even in difficult times when those around you go against you? Will you follow the Lord? Will you be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? So these things God is taking note of. Remember that God sees, that He is sovereign, and He will reward you. So Esther chapter 2, we see that God's people were in captivity, yet suddenly two of them were in proximity to the most powerful man in the world. We can see God now beginning to move the pieces around and put people in place where He can use them. So who could have seen or who could have imagined the important role that they would play in God's plan to preserve His people from the coming genocide? God knew. God saw it all. And God had a plan for it. He often works in ways that we don't understand at the time. So God could take this defeated king that we've talked about, King Ahasuerus, and He could work in a way uh, in His life uh, to orchestrate and to bring about a plan that He has. And then he works in this orphan girl, Esther, for the purpose that he has in in placing her in a place of prominence that someone would have the king's ear that uh, he would listen to. And then using Mordecai also, uh, we'll see more and more of his purpose later on in the story. But God has a purpose for him and placed him in a place of prominence then within the palace also. All right, so that summarizes then chapter 2 in the story. Now let's turn our attention to... Uh, Lesson number four. Lesson number four, as we continue on in chapter number three. Let's go ahead and read. Can we get lesson four up there, if you would, please? We'll read uh, Esther chapter three, verses one through 12, to kind of set the scene here of what's going to take place next in this story. This is a story of power and providence. So after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Uh, so understand where we are. So we have uh, these two men. They have the plot against the king, and, and the king has to do something about uh, this rising up. No doubt it was more than this, these two men that were seeking to rise up within the kingdom. It could be as, as a result of the loss that they had just experienced, that 
They felt like their king was not leading in a way that he should, that he was no longer uh, had the power or the prominence to take over other kingdoms. Whatever it might be, we see now that uh, King Ahasuerus makes some decisions and he promotes Haman uh, to a, a very prominent position. So he advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in, in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Sounds very familiar to that of Daniel, doesn't it? The king, then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Well, there's a lot of anger in this book. And he thought scorn, he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is, the month Nisan, in the twelfth month, or the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, that is, the lot, before Haman, from the day to day and from month to month, to the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad, and dispersed among the people in all the providence of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business, to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Madatha, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants, and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers over of every people of every province, according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus, was it written and sealed with the king's ring. Boy, what a plot here we have, and, and evil here on the part of Haman as he begins this plan, and, and he begins to put it in place. So he's playing to the king's ear, and understand where the king's at. A plot has just been deployed against him to kill him, so he understands there's a rising up within his, his kingdom, those that would be against him. And Haman comes to him with this plan, and he, he's declaring, oh, there's, a, there's another uh, issue here with the people of your land, and it has to be with the, happens to be with the people that are the Jews, and they are rising up. They're going against your laws. They don't follow your laws. So he's playing to the king's ear. So as we look at chapter number three, we need to understand some things here about uh, how God is working and and what he wants to do in our lives. And we have to ask ourselves this question, you know, have we ever found ourselves in a place or a position doing a job that we never thought we would do? And I would have to raise my hand and say yes. 
There are many times in, in service where you're to the Lord, where you're asked to do things that you never thought you would do or never thought you could do. But yet we need to be willing to walk through those doors of opportunity that God gives us, that He might use us and perform uh, His will in our life. So sometimes God places us in positions that we feel completely unqualified for. That's me. He <laughs> puts us in positions that we feel completely unqualified for. Perhaps you can remember a time you thought to yourself, Lord, you picked me, but I'm the wrong person for this job. Or this is not what I signed up for. Boy, we see that all throughout the Bible. Moses was one of them. He said, I can't speak. I, I can't lead your people. I can't do these things. And we see many in the Word of God that have that same feeling, and we have that same sentiment as well as God asks us to do things. But know this, that nothing catches God by surprise. Often God will elevate humble people uh, to places of prominence for His ultimate glory. When we look at history, even the history of our nation, we understand that, that God raises up people, and we look at our past presidents in the 70s, He raised up Jimmy Carter, and we may not agree with his policies, but God raised him up, a peanut farmer, became the president of the United States, and a few years later, Ronald Reagan, a movie star, became the next president. These two successive presidents had completely different backgrounds, yet both occupied the same office. And the Bible tells us it is God who raises people to positions of prominence and allows them to be in power. So God is in control. When we think things are out of control today in our society and in our world, know this, that God is in control. When we last saw Esther and Mordecai, God had moved them into key positions. Esther is now queen. Mordecai is now keeper of the gate of the palace. And God had moved them into these key positions He's an attendant in the king's court, and even though they may not have understood all that was happening to them, they still followed the Lord. In our text today, we see how God's providential guidance will allow Esther and Mordecai to have access to influence people. They had access to a king who had all power within the kingdom and access to his ear. And God orchestrated all this to put them in that position. So in this lesson today, we will see human power and God's providence at work. Notice first, a man who is positioning himself for power. Are we going to, did we get lesson four? There we go. A positioning for power. So at the beginning of chapter three that we just read, we are introduced to a new character in this story, and that is of Haman. So we see that Haman is promoted here in chapter number 3. So when a wicked king like Ahasuerus is reigning, other wicked men often try to gain favor with the king. They want to be a part. And as we'll see throughout this story, no one tried harder to gain the king's favor than that of Haman. And then Haman's efforts worked. The king promoted him, and we saw that in verses 1 and 2, as he's promoted uh, to a place of prominence within the kingdom. He's in the seat above all the princes that were with him. Let's look a little bit at Haman's history. Let's look at his ancestry. The Bible makes special mention of Haman's ancestry, specifically that he was the son of an Agagite. The son of an Agagite. So if you'll recall some history here, uh, this is relevant to Mordecai, who is a descendant of King Saul. Because the Agagites were the descendants of King Agag, you may remember that Agag was the king of the Amalekites when God had ordered Saul to destroy the Amalekites. But Saul didn't do it. Saul disobeyed and spared Agag. So Haman, 
a descendant of Agag, hated the Jews. And he would soon set his sights on destroying the Jewish nation. What a different story it would have been if Saul had obeyed. <laughs> if Saul had just obeyed. So we see this is where Haman comes from. He comes from a history and a long line of Jew haters. <laughs> Those that wanted to destroy the Jews. Then we see his advancement here. And our text tells us that the king set Haman seat above all the princes that were with him. And this promotion seems to be misdirected. In the previous chapter, Mordecai had saved the king's life by reporting the plot that he had overheard to assassinate the king. So what did Mordecai get as a reward? Absolutely nothing. Instead, he had to watch the enemy of his people, Haman the Agagite, gain undeserved power. Perhaps we have heard uh, the non-biblical proverb that says this, no good deed goes unpunished. There are days that this feels true, we feel like justice isn't being served or that uh, God isn't being honored. But Mordecai, he did good. And he didn't get a reward here presently in this story. Except this. He saw this. <laughs> Instead of being rewarded, he saw his enemy being promoted. Now, it seems to be a slap in the face, doesn't it? Mordecai's trying to do right. He's trying to serve the Lord and honor the Lord in what he's doing, yet... He's facing opposition. The enemy seems to be promoted here. Haman was quite willing to manipulate the king through bribery. And we see this in verses 8 through 9. When Haman offered the king 10,000 talents of silver, the equivalent of 375 tons of silver. Some scholars believe that Ahasuerus at this time was in a bad financial state because of his failed campaign against the Greeks. And Haman could have seen... The king's financial woes is the perfect opportunity to get that promotion. So he used bribery. And upon receiving this promotion, Haman became egotistical. He, he had this place of prominence. Now he demands the people recognize his place of prominence. He demands that others in the palace would bow to him. And his arrogance is not unlike the way of the Antichrist, and the way that he will lead in the tribulation. So, of course, the Antichrist will also have the goal to destroy God's people. He's anti-Christ. So he's against Christianity. He's against Christ. So notice the comparison in Revelation 13, which describes the Antichrist as the beast. In Revelation 13, verse 2, it says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seed and great authority. Verse number 6, And he opened his mouth and, and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So Haman is promoted. Mordecai's good deed goes unnoticed at this point, and the enemy is put in a place of prominence. So next we see Mordecai refuses to bow. So Haman's put this decree out that all should bow to him and bid him reverence, but Mordecai refuses. Haman tried to bully those around him into reverencing him, 
But there was one man in the palace who would not bow. That man was Mordecai. Chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, which we've already read. Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. So in Haman's eyes, we see Mordecai's disobedience. Bowing and reverencing were acts of, that involved prostrating oneself in worship. And Mordecai refused to do it. Why did Mordecai refuse to bow or show respect to Haman? Well, I believe it's because Mordecai understood that he served the Lord. And he was the one that he worshipped. And he is the one that he reverenced. And he's the one that he bowed down to. And Haman was the enemy of Israel. He's the enemy of God. The Ten Commandments are clear that we are to worship God alone. Exodus 20, verse 5, Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. We, too, need to be cognizant of the fact that God should be the only place that we place our worship. The only person that we direct our praise and honor towards reverencing God in heaven. Mordecai may have believed that bowing to Haman would be a form of worship. Additionally, as we noted earlier, Haman was an ancient enemy of Israel, and it may have been patriotism and loyalty to the Jews that kept Mordecai from bowing as well. So a combination of, hey, this is the enemy, and I serve the Lord, and God is with our nation, and God loves the Jews, I'm not going to bow. Warren Wiersbe says this about this a portion of scripture. He says, Mordecai's controversy with Haman was not a personal quarrel with a proud and difficult man. It was Mordecai's declaration that he was on God's side in the national struggle between the Jews and the Amalekites. He was siding with God, and we should side with God as well. With all that's going on in our world today, we need to side with God. We need to side with the Word of God. We need to make sure that we're walking true and faithful to what God declares for us. But even though it goes contra contrary to the worldview and what society says, we need to make sure that we are biblicists following the Word of God and making sure that we align with it contrary to that of our culture. So many people in Mordecai's position would have excused this bow as a mere formality. Really doesn't mean anything. You can do it, but really not mean it. Do it half-heartedly. Just go along with the flow to avoid the consequences of not bowing. I'm glad Mordecai refused. He refused. We are challenged by Mordecai's example. Uh, sometimes bowing to the world's pressure to violate God's law is attractive. Uh, it puts us in a place where we may avoid conflict. But sometimes Christians tell themselves that little compromises don't matter and mere formalities that will help gain greater influence in the future. <laughs> but it does matter. It does matter. God calls us to be obedient. Not in just what we want to be obedient to, but to all of what He's commanded. God requires us to obey. And just a small deviation from what God has declared to be true and right and proper for us to do is disobedience. We need to follow God's perfect law that He's given to us. God has given us His Word, and He wants us to use it to guide our lives and to stay faithful to it. So we must have the courage, like Mordecai, to stand when others want us to bow. Next we see here Mordecai's declaration. So his 
as outward disobedience infuriated Haman. Verses 3 and 4, we saw as he did not hearken that uh, Haman became very upset and very angry with this situation. And when Mordecai was questioned about why he wouldn't bow, Mordecai simply humbly responded that he was a Jew. Mordecai was not in any way uh, attempting to incite a rebellion against Haman. We don't see him ever trying to recruit people to, to rise up against him and protest him. He just quietly refused to bow. His quiet refusal was a bold declaration that he was on God's side. And for the next several days, we see uh, that eyes were upon Mordecai. <laughs> All eyes were upon him. He's the one going against the current. He's the one that's standing alone and seeking to serve the Lord. So observers are looking on and wonder if he would ever bow. You can just imagine what's taking place and, and all the talk and all the chatter that's going on. Will he bow today? Is he going to stand firm? Is he going to, to stay obedient to his Lord? What is he going to do? And when people know that you have a conviction about something because you are a Christian, because you want to follow the Lord, because the Lord has commanded things of you, and they may be watching you. They may be watching to see what you give into, or they're watching to see if you will stand firm on what you declared that you believe. So they're watching you. They want to see if you have integrity to hold to your convictions, not just once, but even as the pressure mounts. We could pause there and say a whole lot. We can look in our society and then if we would shift our focus even to that of Christianity and see what I call the decline of separation through the years. Uh, God has not moved. God has not changed. Christianity has conformed. We have conformed to the world's culture, the world's thought processes, the world's desires, the world's entertainment, rather than standing with God. We need to be Christians who will stand with the Lord, stand against the culture's current to pull us away. So Haman here, he's angry at Mordecai and he reveals his hatred towards him for the Jewish people. Anti-Semitism was a problem then and it's still a problem today. And we see it in what's going on over in the Middle East right now. During World War II, six million Jews were killed under the leadership of Adolf Hitler. The atrocities of the concentration camps left the world with one of the darkest blots on world history. And many Jews fled from Europe during this time. Others tried to hide their Jewish identity or change their names. The enemies of God have tried for years to eradicate His chosen people. But they never succeeded. And I'll add that they never will. They never will. God has His chosen people. And God will, will continue to protect and to guide them, fight on their behalf, and we... As Christians, need to make sure that we're siding with God's people, that we're supporting them. And more so, as I look to Mordecai, I'm thankful for stories like that of Daniel, that of the three Hebrew children, that of Mordecai, willing to stand. Obviously, when other Jews were not standing, he's the only one that's pointed out, he was not going to bow. So he was one man standing alone for God and on the side of God. Might we be Christians that choose the same today? Standing with God, on the side of God, fighting for what's right, and standing for what's right, that God 
could use us even in the midst of this evil and perverse generation. Declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to be a shining light of Jesus Christ and His glory to a lost and dying world. God seeks to use us. God's working behind the scenes. How is He working in your life today? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful for the story here in the book of Esther. What a great story it is, how we can draw comfort and strength and, tr- and understand that we can have full faith and trust in you, knowing that you are working. You're working in this world, and you're working in our lives, and you're working even in the lives of those around us. While we pray that we would just be faithful to follow and faithful to seek you and faithful to stand firm on the truths that you've shown us from your word. Father, help us to be a people that are faithful to you. Father, I pray that you just guide us and direct us in the lessons ahead. And Father, you have much for us, I believe, and you have much that you're wanting to teach me. And Father, I thank you for your word. It's ever before us that we can draw from living that is true and that is real. And Father, I pray, uh, Father, that we would just allow it to guide our lives and guide our paths. Be with the service to follow. Speak again to our hearts. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you for your attention. We'll meet right back in here at 1030.